Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octo non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. William Branham is a highly decorated Navy SEAL veteran who served in the United States military for 26 years. During his extensive military career, he honed his leadership skills, cultivated a strong mindset, and gained invaluable experience in high-pressure situations as a sniper instructor, leading teams and operations ranging from protecting the interim Iraqi elected officials, wow, to direct action missions in Baghdad and Afghanistan, as well as underseas missions that were required to be approved by the President of the United States. After retiring from the military, William has made it his mission to share the lessons that he learned from others as a speaker, author, and businessman. He is the host of the Navy SEAL Mindset Podcast. So if you're listening to us right now, stop this podcast, push pause, go subscribe to the Navy SEAL Mindset and get all his great leadership advice. He's got some fantastic stuff on there. He also has expertise, obviously, in leadership and mindset, and has been sought out by organizations ranging from small universities to Fortune 500 companies. He draws on his experience to provide practical advice on how to cultivate a leadership style that inspires and motivates others, and how to develop the resilience necessary to succeed in challenging environments. William, thank you for being here, and uh, thank you for putting up with my horrendous reading capacity. Something happened you know, on my computer. So. You do much better than me. I am the worst public reader on the planet. I think I have I, I, ADHD I and dyslexia and some other stuff. Like I completely go blank when I try to read something out loud. I remember like as a kid going to church, they wanted us to read like Bible verses, which is not even like real English. And it's, yeah, thus, like, was, I don't <laughs> even know what, I have no idea what I'm reading. And then I say the words wrong and the other kids like correct me. And I'm like, oh, so I have this, you know, weird uh, thing about it. So yeah, I apologize. Normally I'm pretty okay, but um, clearly I don't talk good or read good. So uh, I will work on that. I don't, and I don't talk good. I don't talk good. I'm a TEDx talker. <laughs> Did I tell you what my dad said when I got my TEDx? I got the email confirmation. I go, hey, yeah. dad, I, hey dad, I'm going to do a TEDx. And he goes, who's Ted? And why the hell does he want you to talk? And I was like, right. okay, dad. <laughs> that awesome. was a while back. So, And we, we laugh about that. But you just got your own TEDx and you got it. It's all checked in and they're looking at all the stuff now. So hopefully by the time that this interview's live, we'll get to actually be able to listen to it and hear about it and see all the lessons that you brought to the TED stage. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the, the final version of that as well, because I think I told you in, in the beginning that uh, I, I got a little more emotional than I anticipated. Generally, when I'm on stage, I do get a little emotional, especially in the beginning where, you know, I maybe talk about 22 to zero or, or something like that. But this time I was just, you know, just trying to be passionate about what you delivering my message. 
And, or if I deliver like man in the arena towards the end of my, my keynote, I get a little, like a little emotional with that as well, but there's purpose behind that. And there was purpose behind, you know, delivering emotion with a TEDx, but it was, I was much more weepy than I anticipated. And I was like, okay, I think some of it was nerves for sure. And I guess the guy that, the guy that went first, who speaks all the time, they told me that he had to like completely restart and, and start over from the beginning mm-hmm. because he was like, he's like, I have no idea why I'm crying right now, but it, it was, it was, it was definitely an interesting experience. I would like to have delivered it again right after. Cause I'm like, got all the nerves out. I'm ready to go. And so it is what it is. You get pretty much one shot to kind of knock it out. And then you only get one first impression. So <laughs> it's kind of the way it goes. And like you're saying, TED is a whole other experience because you can speak in front of 200 people and you can see everybody in the audience and it's one thing uh, to be in TED and they're saying, stay on the red dot, make sure you're doing this. For those that don't know, you have to basically write to them and show them in writing what you're going to be saying, what you're going to be talking about. They have to okay it. And if there's anything in there that they don't like, they're going to ask you to change it. And sometimes, I know some speakers that have said they've had people say, Hey, it's the week before. We want you to change this part. And they've been drilling it for the last three months, thinking that they're good. And now they're like, oh, shit, I got to pivot now. But that's very much about your TEDx talk. But then again, you're in front of, you have what, a dozen cameras on you. You have, depends on where you're at, anywhere from 1,000 to 4,000 people in the audience watching you. So there, it's a whole other level of pressure. So very much a, uh, a Rubicon or... I wouldn't say it's a hell week, but I would say that it's very much a rite of passage as a speaker. So oh, it totally is. It, it, mine was a, a much smaller venue. It was a, like a, a small, closed, uh, private venue. It was the, the speakers and their family members. Okay. And, you know, I talked about, you know, being a little bit emotional when I was, when I was giving my presentation. I was like, I had to be careful who I looked at in the crowd because I would like get even more emotional. Like I could see like like two guys over here, like starting to well up and cry a little bit. And I'm like, don't look at those guys look over here. And then like some girl over here was like, don't look at her. Like I had to like <laughs> kind of scan the crowd and like be engaging and not, you know, get sucked in. Like, I mean, they're feeding off my emotion. Of course I have to be careful not to feed off of theirs and like come back, center myself, yes. pivot, and then continue to, to deliver. So it was, it was definitely an interesting experience that I would love to do again. Yeah, and I probably and, will. I'm. I'm actually. I actually thought about switching my my presentation about two months out. Mm. I mean, I, I think most people don't even know like what a pain in the butt doing a TEDx is. You told me, and I was like, can't be that hard. It is actually that hard. It's ridiculous the things you have to do. Just like you said, like you have to have your script perfectly, like verbatim, like submit that, then they approve it. Then you have to do all of these, a, a 60 second video, a 90 second video, a two minute video, like without like that basically delivers your TED talk without losing any, anything in there. And that's just part of the application process. Uh, once you're, you know, uh, you know, accept, you go through some interviews, then you're, once you're accepted, uh, then you submit your, your, your script, then you have to video yourself delivering your script. Then you have to deliver yourself delivering your script, knowing it like verbatim, and then you get on stage and. It's a, it's a whole big deal. And I was like, I speak quite a bit, but that was a very different experience. It is. And then also for those that don't know, Ted wants to make sure that anybody that they put on their 
their stage is who they say they are and what they say they are. So with people like you and I, which my background in the military was not nearly as, you know, as deep as yours was, but they did the same thing. They were like, I need to, we need to say, you know, were you really in the military? We need a DD-214. We need to have documentation of all this stuff because if they don't, yeah. they don't want to get egg on their face. They don't want to put somebody up on stage. It's like, hey, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, that's not what happened. And so, right. but it, but it's great too, because it shows us how important it is to do our due diligence, how to be prepared. And then also when we go speak to just 500 people at an event, it's like, oh, that's it. I just walk out and, and crush. Okay, I got this. Give me the right, mic. Let's yeah. go. It's so, way easier. Yeah. So, but it's, I, I love the TED stuff and um, there's all kinds of great stuff out there. So whenever yours comes out, everybody subscribe to what he's doing and listen to to that to, to learn more about pivoting and transitioning, which we've spoken about before. And speaking of that, so we spoke to each other over a year and a half ago. I was aware of you well before that, but getting to actually connect with you was was incredible. So I would love to unpack what this journey has been like for you for the last year and a half, nearly two years of being in this arena, this environment of leadership, personal development, mindset. What was the biggest thing that surprised you so far coming in from being a SEAL into the civilian sector and seeing what people are doing by comparison? I think probably the biggest thing I had to do was get over my imposter syndrome. I, you know, every one of my clients, they're all high performers. 100% of them have some form of imposter syndrome. And we talk about it all the time. And so one of the things that I had to sort of discover for myself, and then now I, you know, I, I preach it. But every time I tell them, I'm telling myself as well. And I, I, I ask them this one question, like, who, who do you think does not have imposter syndrome? Who does not get imposter syndrome? The answer is imposters. <laughs> they actually believe they're bullshit. And the rest of us who are humble and who think that we know the right answer, but we're not 100% sure. We're always, because we're always growing, we're always learning, we're always evolving. We're always like, we're, it's never good enough. Like we'll never hit the, the peak of the mountain ever. You know, I think about life as being on an escalator and the escalator is always going down. If you stop, you stop and celebrate for too long, you're going to keep, you know, people reach this, like this peak, this pinnacle of life, whatever the hell that is. And then they stop doing anything, you know? I, I've heard several people, I think uh, in The Sopranos, the worst thing that you could ever say was remember when I was awesome. Remember that time when I was awesome. Like, I'm not awesome yet. I'm still trying to become awesome. Maybe you look at my background and some other, you think, oh, you're, you're awesome. Like, no, I'm not, not yet. I'm, you know, keep going until the day I die. Like, that's when I want to do my, you know, lift the heaviest weight I've ever lifted. I want to run the fastest I've ever run, you know, have the most sex I've ever had, whatever the thing is. You know, you could, you could shove whatever thing in there, but I want to like continue to grow and get better at everything I do, which makes me question, like, am I smart enough to be putting out information? Should I be the person? Should I be the, the subject matter expert? And I've been in roles in the military where I was these, you know, considered the subject matter expert. And I did not, I was for sure not the, the expert. I was right there learning along with my guys. And that's, but that's just part of the process. I didn't let them know that I didn't know. I actually... I learned a lot of valuable leadership lessons by empowering my guys that worked for me who I knew knew more than I did. They didn't know I knew more or they knew more. I didn't let them know that. I said, hey, you're really good at this. Why don't you go teach me and see if you can teach me something new? 
And so when, by, by doing that, in empowering your workforce to teach you something, even if they know or don't know, it doesn't matter. But you just, you just gave them ownership of, of this thing. And so they actually respect you more. And they're more likely to come and ask you questions. You go ask them questions. Hey, what do you think about this? How would we? How would you solve this problem? How would you teach this class? How would you do whatever? And when you're able to do that, you're gonna you're gonna get a higher quality candidate on the backside. You're gonna get a higher quality workforce on the backside because you went in and you showed some humility. You gave them ownership of whatever they were doing. Jocko does a really good job of you know in his book Extreme Ownership talking about that. And it's funny I didn't listen to anything that Jocko said for probably three years after getting out of the military. Because I wanted Jocko or anyone else, because I didn't want to inadvertently take what they were saying or doing and 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 steal their IP. It's not their IP, but it's but we all learn the same thing in the military, but we all present it a little bit differently, or we hear it a little bit differently. So I was doing the the, the modern day night project as an instructor with with Bader's Coolian a few weeks ago, and we had a guest instructor come in. His name is Chris Cavallini. I think he is... Uh, oh, yeah. He's amazing. He, Yeah, he's like, so much energy. So, like, yeah. he's a fucking great guy. Yeah. When I first met him, I was like, oh, he's he's kind of an asshole. He's a, like, he's just a really intense guy. He's yeah. awesome. I love that yeah. man. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, we say pretty much the same thing. We all have the same message. We each say it a little bit differently. So I thought it was important that I, as I, when I decided I was going to go down this route of personal development, professional development, leadership coaching, whatever, whatever you want to call it, I didn't want to inadvertently take what someone else was already saying. Um, I wanted to create my own, I hired coaches to like help me kind of pull some stuff out of me. So I knew the right things to say. And then I like, you know, three years later, I started, you know, listening to what other SEALs were saying. Cause I didn't, again, I didn't want to like take what they were saying and use it as my own, like clearly they were saying it first. Right. Like Jason Redman talks about, you know, life on the X. And, uh, and in my TED talk, I talked very, very briefly about that point where you get ambushed by the enemy. We call that point the X. And I had all kind of other stuff. And, and the other thing about being on a TED stage is I only had 10 minutes to, to deliver my message. So you got to get really good at cutting out the fat and just delivering a very lean product. I mean, normally when I speak, I'm a, I'm a solid 45 minute guy. I can go longer. I can go shorter. It's very hard for me to go shorter, but you got to, because storytelling is a part of what I do. And, but on the Ted stage, I tell a story in the beginning just to get your attention and, and hook you in, which I didn't know. I got that feedback from other people. And, and then I deliver my message. And the, the, again, it has to be a very lean message so that you're, you get right to the point, uh, which is one of the things I love about the, the TED stage. You get some mm-hmm. story, storytelling, but you also like get right to the point to get the message across. So yes. I forgot your question. I just started riffing right there. No, that's what we're doing. <laughs> we're, we're in the flow. And that's and that's the beauty of it, right? Um, to Chris Cavallini, I got to meet him. We spoke, spoke of Jocko. I met him at Jocko's event, the council last year, which they only allowed 20 people there. It's, it's Jocko, a slave. It's it's like all their their people and you're up in the Washington mountains with them. And it's like, you're very detached and you get all this like great interaction. And Chris was there. He was actually one of the people I rode with and he is just a big, big beefcake of a guy. But like you said, once and he's very energetic and he is very passionate, but once you get to know him, 
That guy will do anything for you. He will bend over backwards for you. Incredible guy. Such a nice guy. Such a nice guy. Yeah. And uh, when he was on the podcast, speaking of that, we were talking about you'd never want to stop. You're always on this escalator like you were describing. He said in his experience, even with all the success that he's had, he was talking about this idea that it's not the success that he loves. It's the progress. It's the progression. Right. It's knowing every day that there is this movement forward because we coach high, high performers, right? Some of the high performers bask in their glory, like you said, for too long. Yep. Some of them are the, on the other end of the spectrum and they go, yep, did that check what's next. And they don't allow themselves the chance to actually process and be present to that. Right. And the reality is the art form for that is to figure out at what point do I need to be on what end of the spectrum? So maybe if you're going through hardship or a divorce with your family, maybe you need to really bask in that for a moment to give you some of that belief, but then also right. move forward showing, listen, this is what I was able to accomplish. What more can I do? Other people that are just saying, oh, well, we've done that. We've crushed that. If we don't allow, especially when we're leading a team, when we lead a company, a lot of other people are going to want to sit there and say in that place, Right. Give give them that opportunity. If you need to give them a bonus, to you know, send out you know gift boxes, have something there in person and celebrate it. Absolutely, do that. Put a bookend on it though, and say, listen, this is yeah. the start. This is the finish. We've done a great job. The score is zero. Let's move forward. I like I like when companies come to me and they talk to me about like, hey, I've got this really great performer, and he's really great at this thing. He's been doing. He's been here for twenty years. Now he wants to step up into you know, uh, become a partner or whatever, you know? And I'm like, well, have you had the conversation about, is he partner material? Like all the things that go along with being a partner of a company yes. is like, you're part of the hiring and, you're, and the firing. You're part of like the big decision. You're working hours that no one else is working. You're doing all these other things behind the scenes that, you know, the guys in the trenches don't actually see. I mean, they think that your life is cush and they're like, we, I want to be over there because it looks like you're not doing as much work as I am. And so they have to, so I'm like, have this conversation. Like, are you prepared to fire someone who's not performing? Are you prepared to basically make someone like take their income away? Are you like all these other things, which is very a difficult conversation nowadays, you know, because we're leaning more on the entitlement side for a lot of businesses. A lot, like there's a lot of entitlement out there, which I hate, which is, you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I hate entitlement more than almost anything. But I have also caught myself feeling entitled. So I had to put myself in check. I'm like, whoa. And, it, and that just comes back to, yeah, I did some great stuff once upon a time. So what? What are you doing today? And that, you know, that's also part of, you know, one of the things I talk about in my presentation is, is you know, when you get to the SEAL teams, no one cares that you graduated buds. No one gives a fuck. Because every one of those guys have done it. They don't care if you, they don't actually care how many deployments you have either. You know, you can go have a rock star deployment and come back. You can't be a bag of crap. You got to like show up and perform again. And that was one of the, again, one of the great things about being in the SEAL teams is if I didn't show up, even if I was in a leadership position, I didn't show up and I wasn't performing a little bit better today than I was the day before. In some respect, if I was just like a bag of crap, if my new guys didn't call me out, then they were going to pay for that. It's their responsibility. This is their team. My job is to groom them to take my place, to be tomorrow's leaders. And if you're not calling me out, I don't care my rank. I don't care my experience. I don't care anything else. If you're not calling me out for being a piece of shit, 
then I'm going to hammer your ass and you're going to learn that lesson. So next time someone else on the team isn't performing, you let them know. And that's how you build culture in the organization. But it has to come from the top. And if the, if the leadership isn't building that culture, is it driving that culture down to the deck plate level, then someone else is driving the culture in that organization is probably not the culture you want. Yeah, it becomes a self-policing culture. So now you don't have to be the guy that's like, hey, you're not putting out. Hey, you're not showing up. Hey, you're not you know, holding the log the way you're supposed to. You were discussing that idea of this greatness of, of our glory of our past. When I heard David Goggins speak at the an Arte event earlier this year, he made the comment that even SEALs, once they get out of the teams, 80-some percent of them go back into what everybody else is doing in the U.S. and they're mediocre and they get soft and they're not pushing themselves and they're doing yep. just enough to get by and they're living. You know, we always say that people peak in high school. Well, they may have peaked in the SEAL teams and that's they think that that's going to give them this additional you know track. And for some people it does. But the reality is if all you do is tell a good story, all people are going to do is ask you to do is tell a good story. They're not going to ask right. you to lead them. And right. people are asking you with your one-on-one coaching. People are asking you every day, teach me, teach me how to lead. Yeah. The people that are coming to these events that you're a part of, they want you to teach them how to lead. When they go to your podcast, when they're this Navy SEAL mindset, like this is how they can learn. And right now you have these, they're like 15 minute, 20 minute chunks of just these beautiful warrior wisdoms type lessons where you're talking about, Hey, this is what really happens. Hey, this is the real secret. Hey, this is the thing that most people don't see, or most people don't want to continue to do consistently to get where they need to go. And so that's why I'm telling people if they're not already subscribed to go do that right now. I appreciate that. Yeah. I've, you know, I've been on, I don't know, over 450 podcasts in the last two and a half years. It was a pretty much a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And I got on there, like, it, interesting, and this kind of goes back to your original question, like, what, like, tell me about, like, what happened in the last one and a half, two years, or since you've gotten out? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started a CBD company, Naked Warrior Recovery, and, and Bedros, one of my, who was one of my business coaches, was like, you need to get on as many podcasts as you can. You know, other people, you, they have an audience, you, you get out there, you talk about it, you, you know, you talk about the good, the bad, the whatever, your experience, all this other stuff. And, um, that and you establish that no like, and trust, and then you deliver your thing, but doing these podcasts to promote a CBD product, to promote that company, I started doing more personal development, self-development. Uh, people started asking me, you know, some difficult questions about leadership. And then people were like, why aren't you coaching? Why aren't you doing this? And you're one of those people actually. And I appreciate that. And I love being challenged. A lot of times I'll get on a podcast and it's a pretty shit hot podcast host and they're like, okay, what can make this a memorable podcast for you? What's going to make this stand out in your mind? And a lot of podcasts don't stand out. This one does mm-hmm. for sure. Thank when you. people ask me those questions, that stands out because I'm like, ask me questions that no one else has asked. Like, I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to get my point across. I'm going to share what I think I'm supposed to share. Because I did get on a podcast and I, I didn't get to the point. The guy was like, he asked me like two or three like sort of random questions. And I was waiting oh. for him to ask me like the question. And, uh, and he's like, okay, thanks for showing up and have a great day. I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I wasn't done. (laughs) Like I showed I, you know, I knew he was like not really into it, but I learned that lesson and I learned all, all the great lessons I have in my life. I've learned through failure. And so I consider that to be a failure uh, of a podcast. So I learned the lesson. And so now anytime I get on a podcast, I'm going to make sure that my message, like, like some of them are like, Oh, this, we do a 20 minute podcast. I'm like, good luck. 
Like you can ask me one or two questions and then I'm, I'm taking, like, I tell them, I want them to drive. You drive the train. I want you to get out of me what you want to get out of me. I'm going to get out of you what I want to get. Out. I'm going to deliver what I want to deliver. Right. But you need to, you need to make sure that you get from me what you want to get from me. Yeah. I interviewed uh, Nick Lavery a couple of nights ago and I asked him the same kind of questions that I asked you. And so after that preview, that pre-interview that allowed me to go somewhere and shocker for people that haven't heard it yet, I don't go in deep into his injury. I don't go in deep into like his ambush and what happened to his leg. Not that that's not important. It's absolutely part of his story. But if you've listened to the five-hour interview that he did with Jocko, they uncovered and unpacked every ounce of that. If you've read his book, he talks about that. If you see a picture of him, he has a prosthetic. So you know that there's something there. But I tried to find just like what you're talking about, something that was going to engage him that would be edifying for him. And then guess what? You have a magical conversation because they're talking about stuff they haven't been asked before. They're talking about stuff right. that is new and exciting for them. Just like with your TEDx, like your TEDx will be out soon. But yet, before you know it, the years are going to fly by. And if people keep talking about your TEDx, like it just happened yesterday, it's like, well, I mean, thank you. I'm glad that you enjoy that. But I've already released this new plan. I've already released this new course. I'm already speaking here. And I already have this you know, thing available. And yeah. that's, that's part of it. We have to be, we have to be grateful for where we come from and what we've accomplished and respect that goal. But then we have to say, now what What's the next thing in a way that actually continues to be conducive to who we want to become. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And it's funny. I'm, you know, I, I just delivered one TEDx and I'm ready to deliver a second. Right. Like I, I think I told you, I don't remember if while we were recording or b before the show that I'm working on a second one right now. And I actually almost changed it my original like i had a you know i had someone like help edit my script because you know mm -hmm. i won't be professional i want to deliver like i want to make sure it makes sense because it doesn't like what makes sense in my brain doesn't always make sense to someone who's reading something so I'm like hey can you read this okay and we'd move some stuff around and and then i i did an event out in california so i went and spoke at Bedros's event in august september time frame which was awesome Biggest crowd I've ever been in front of, like so much energy. Uh, interesting. So there's, there's another, there's an interesting thing about this. And I think we talked about speaking in front of different crowds earlier. So I spoke at that event, big event, like just like so much energy and like the best delivery I've ever had. Like I crushed that event. No question in my mind. Fast forward. So two, three days later, I delivered the same presentation via Zoom. And I was like, I jacked that whole thing up. And then I delivered like a whole nother presentation, crushed it, like not quite as well. I was asked to come out to a, a sniper competition. I flew out of Lincoln. It's like tri-state area right there. I, I flew into one state, came down to Iowa, I think. I don't remember. And then flew out of Nebraska. Like it's right. I forgot exactly where I was. But anyway, it was a sniper competition out there. And they were like, we want you to speak. Like, they brought me out to speak. But then they're also like, hey, we want you to like be a judge for the sniper competition because you're a sniper instructor and all that other stuff. I'm like, all right, yeah, cool. And then I spoke at that that dinner that night, that was the hardest venue I've ever spoke to because it was almost all active duty guys, mostly army. And my presentation is five secrets to help you think like a Navy SEAL. So in the corporate world, it works really well. In the army world, they're like, eh. and I was like, so, you know, I'm speaking, I'm delivering my presentation and I can win the crowd over. Mm -hmm. This was the longest and hardest it took me to win the crowd over. Yeah. Like it was, I was probably 15, 20 minutes into my presentation before like everyone shut up and actually listened to me. 
and then I was like, I bombed that. It was not, but the next day people were like, young guys were like, Hey man, thanks for doing that. Like guys that have been through ranger school or whatever. And Hey man, th- that was awesome. Like, can you come on my podcast? That was like, even though I'm the guy standing on that stage, I still like that feedback. Like, I have no idea if I'm doing a good job delivering. Yeah. I figured I did once everyone shut up and they were like, everyone was engaged with what I was saying. There were a couple seals there also. But again, I get it because I've been the guy on that side of it. Like, who the hell do you think you are? You're not telling me anything. I don't know. Like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I'm listening now. I'm interested in what you have to say. And again, I'm the, I'm the same guy. You know, I posted something on on Instagram from a, an, an event at the Modern Day Night Project with Vedros. And yesterday it started going a little bit viral. And uh, you should see the hate comments that are coming in there. Like their words, I don't even know. Bro, this is so cringe. Or there's some other like sexual stuff in there. And like, I bet this guy beats his wife. Or anyway, I never realized the level of beta male energy that is out there in the world. Like keyboard warriors. I'll go and look at their like profile. They're private profiles. You can't actually see who they are or what they do. Oh, yeah. It's a private profile with like some cartoon character as their, yeah. It's... Yeah. And I'm like, who? What? Uh, what? And then every now and then, like, it, it's funny, like women will drop in and they'll see it. And they're like, clearly we can see who the strong and weak men are here. And I was like, oh, like <laughs> I replied to like enough, like one guy wanted to fight me. He's like, you name it. it I'm like, I'm, I said, happy Thanksgiving. I'm not sure why you want to fight me now, but whatever. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. I'm like, hey man, if you, if you think it's so great or it's so terrible, why don't you come? Like, we'll, we'll probably, I can talk to Bedros and we can have you go through it for free. You tell me if it impacts your life at all. And I, you know, I, it's a fantastic program. 75 hours, it's it's a pretty good beatdown session, but it's not all beatdown. There's a lot of learning and stuff in there. We teach you some fighting. We teach you some CQC. We teach you, uh, you know, just how to handle a gun. A lot, of guys, a lot of men have never handled a gun before. A lot of lessons. And then on the backside of that, you get 12 months of coaching with Bedros. Wow. I mean, it's mastermind setting. Bedros charges $100,000 a year for his coaching. He's actually, he said in February, he's going up to 125. And I'm like, good for you. And he has, I don't know, 57 clients right now paying them out. I'm proud of him. Like the level of hate also, like this cost what? Ah, I'm like, okay. It's like, and people, they, they look at price, not value. You can tell where their mind is. Entitlement. How dare you? This is only for rich people. No, this is for like the last class. There was a kid who grew up in a cult. Like his dad had 26 wives. So that kid is fucked in the head. And so, but he's trying to do this self-improvement. And he actually posted something on Instagram where he said, you know, I didn't have the money for this program, but I signed up for it anyway. And then people just started like helping me out. And then, and then my wife pretty much gave me an ultimatum. She's like, if you quit this program, we are done. I can't trust you. I can't respect you if you quit on yourself. And I was like, damn, I didn't know that. I would have pushed you even harder, buddy. But because I think we, as men, we need to be pushed. We need to be heard and we need to be appreciated. Just like I said, like I go and I deliver, you know, a presentation. I like when people come up to me and say, hey, man, that was really good. I like to be appreciated. I worked really hard. I was fucking terrified. I used to say when I would get on stage that I'm, I'm more comfortable in a gunfight than I am speaking in front of people. I've done enough speaking in front of people. I don't know if they're the same anymore. But it was also to kind of get just to get warmed up. 
but yeah, interesting, like the amount of hate and sort of like weak energy, that vibrational energy of like, you think you're better than me, or you're a fake seal, or these are just seal wannabes, or these are just, why don't you just join the military? Well, I did a, I did a podcast with, with Nick, one of the other instructors and uh, Nick Kumalatis. And we talk about the project and, and Nick's like, bro, people hate you. I'm like, no, they don't. I think he's like, why are you so mean? And he's just making fun of me. I'm like, I'm one of the nicest guys there. I do. I will yell at you, but I'll also be like, come on, man, you fucking got this. Let's fucking go. You got this. And so there was a guy, the last class, he made it 13 hours. A few months earlier, I didn't, he like said this during the class. He was like a few months earlier, he was sitting on a park bench in front of a lake somewhere. And he had a 45 in his lap. He was ready to like end it all. And then he signed up for this. And then when he quit, I was like, oh, like, give me your number right now. We're going to like text and like, but he's like, you know what? You guys believed in me. You guys saw something in me that I never saw in myself. So, and he sent me a message yesterday for Thanksgiving, whenever this thing comes out saying like, Hey man, thank you so much for what you did for me. Like the, my next 40 years, I'm just going to blow it out of the water. I'm going to crush it. So we had like such a positive impact, even though we didn't graduate the program, like we believed more in him than he believed in himself. I'm also part of another program called man-made. And, you know, we go out and we do epically hard shit. And one of the things that we did is, is hike the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim. And uh, the first time we did it earlier this year, we saved a kid's life. Had we not shown up at that exact time, that kid would be dead right now. Like so much. And we, did, we went and did it again in September, right before. And we took that kid with us. 18, I was like, hey, man, so, so tell me, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? He was like, this, no, actually making that video. I'm like, what video? What, what video did you make? He said, the video where I said goodbye to my family. Like an hour before we showed up. And I was like, holy shit, do you still have that video? He was like, no, I, I watched it one more time and then I erased it. I'm like, no, no, go back and find it. It's like, in, it's out there somewhere. Go find it. He's like, no one wants to see that. I'm like, yes, they do. People need to see that. People want to see that. I, and then, you know what? The other thing I want you to do is I want you to write a speech about your life. I want you to write something and tell a story about your life, how you ended up here. And then how 13 dudes with an organization called man-made showed up and pulled you and like saved you, rescued you and, and all this other stuff. And one of the things that he said when we were taking him back, uh, on that first trip back to the ranger station, he was like, I have no men in my life. I have no idea how to be a man. And we were like, are you kidding me? So, so we brought him back like the Rangers all knew who we were when we showed up. We're like, hey, here's the kid that we saved. And like, yep, yeah, we remember you. All right, awesome. And then, you know, on that same trip, we saved three women's lives. So at the top of the, the North Rim, it was freezing. And there's also elevation. So hiking the Grand Canyon is like climbing two mountains. So you start at the top yeah. of one, you hike to the bottom, you go across, you hike to the top of the other one, you hike, climb back down. So these women started the day before, I think they said 3 a.m., to mm-hmm. just hike from one side to the other. Yep. One of them was very injured. She was also older and, and kind of pretty out of shape. And we passed them kind of going up to the North Rim. And we said, hey, man, are you guys doing okay? You know, we heard that there's some hikers out here that are maybe, you know, struggling a little bit. Maybe they're running out of food. And I remember that woman was like, as I was walking by, she was like, well, we're not giving them any of our food because we don't know how much we're going to need. And I was like, okay, they're poopy pants. <laughs> You're not going to be on my team. I don't actually want you. Yeah, you're negative Nancy over there. And so we hiked to the top of the North Rim. It was cold up there. 
Um, like it was like, we were there long enough to like get some food, fill up our water and then start heading back down top 10, 15 minutes max, maybe use the bathroom up there. It took two miles going back down for me to get thing feeling back in my fingers. So we're going back down. We pass a guy that got to the top about the same time as us. He turned around and started heading back down. We gave him some, his legs were hurting. So we gave him some ibuprofen and, and stuff like that. And then we passed those women and we tried to help them. They hadn't gone a mile. From the time it, we had gone to the, like we'd covered 10 miles and they had not covered one mile yet. And every, oh. t- every step that woman took, she was wailing. And, uh, and I'm like, there's no way these women are going to make it out of here. They need to like set up camp down low, lower altitude, wait for the sun to come up and then maybe try to and actually call for help. And so we went down, we got down to where we, you know, we found the kid, that guy caught up to us. He's, he, I'm like, and I was like, Hey man, he stopped and, and had some, some breakfast with us at, at 5am, 4am. And I was like, hey, man, have you, did you pass those women? Did you offer to help them? He's like, yeah, I offered to help them, but they didn't want any help. They didn't want any help from a man. And because he was like, he offered, you know, when I get back to my the campsite, I'll call the rangers and have them like get you out of here. They were like, we forbid you to do that. You will not. Like they were like, I guess, very ugly with him about it. And so I talked to the other guys and, and our guide. And I was like, hey, man, I don't, those women are not going to make it out. They're going to like, we're going to read about them in three days about these three women. At least one of them didn't make it out of the Grand Canyon. And so that's not cool. And they were like, yep, we're right. So they went to the ranger station, which was right there, which was not occupied the first time. But mm-hmm. because of we're at the end of the season, there was a ranger sleeping in there. So we wrote, woke her up, let her know that, hey, these women are just not. And so by the time we got back to the, the uh, Phantom Ranch, we talked to the Rangers there and they like, they were like, yeah, we sent a, a helicopter in there. We met back those women. One of them had a broken ankle and her knee was completely like shredded. Wow. So, uh, she wasn't going to make it. Mm. But anyway, I, I was like, I need to stop hiking the grand Canyon or because we keep saving people's lives or do it more. I'm not sure which one <laughs> it's like, it's a really hard thing to do. Yeah, man. And that's, that's why we do what we do, right? Like that's where we find these opportunities. Cause you right. Clearly nobody else would have found those opportunities. Had you all not done no. that? No, no. And, and, you know, again, and, and it's because we go out and we do hard things and then we go and we, we come across people. I mean, that kid, 18 years old, he would be dead. One of those women for sure would, they, yeah, would not have made it, but it's because men go out and do hard things and it's not a sex thing. It's whatever. It just is what it is. It's what makes us better in every capacity. There's, I've never been in a situation where being in great physical shape has not been an asset to me, whether it be in a professional setting, in a, even in relationships. It's like, if I'm in great physical shape, it, it shapes the way I approach everything. Um, the way you shake yeah. hands, the way you look somebody in the eye. I'm not saying you have to walk around like a, like a braggadocious. But that's your first impression though. There it is. Are you in good shape or not? That's it. Are you in good shape or are you big and tubby who has more discipline who am i going to trust more who am i going to like the big tubby guy might be the best choice but my first impression is the guy that's in shape or girl that's in shape like because they have something they have discipline they have desire to get better they are always like they have more structure in their life so they're probably gonna have more structure in in their working relationships whatever it is it's the physical demonstration of what you believe in your body is is that thing and even even if you look like a law enforcement officer, right? Like a first responder, criminals have actually said this. If they get pulled over and like they know that they have a warrant and it's like, man, I may have to try to fight to get out of this. If the officer walks up and he is squared away and his uniform is good and he's tapered and he's like 
switched on, they're not going to try it. But right. if you get it's a donut, a force immediately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a deterrent, right? A physical deterrent. But if you're got donut on your face and you got like coffee stains and you you're just spilling out over your uniform, I guarantee if they were in a situation where they needed to do something, you're the guy they're going to try to push out. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, that's like the first part of like force protection is like, look like you're hard to kill. Look like a hard target. Like stop walking around. Like I give a class and I won't go into it here, but I, I talk about worst case scenario and offline just because I'm, I'm pretty graphic about what I talk about. And, uh, and it's you and your family, you're out somewhere. And then somehow you find yourself in the wrong place and it's me and 12 of my buddies. And so, and I do an event, I've done an event once. I'm going to do this a lot more. It's interesting. The guy that hired me to do the event, he didn't know that this is what he was getting, but this was just something that I've, you know, I I talk about at times and because I want people to wake up. I want them to think about life differently. I'll like talking about the worst case scenario and even guys that don't have families, they're like, like, I want the shock value to be very strong. Yes. And then we go out and we learn how to defend against that worst case scenario. Some guy on the ground, he's punching you in the face. And then I give him that scenario later on in the day. But uh, the, the first guy who hired me to do something like this, he just hired me to do like just some room clearing. I'm like, okay. And then like the things he wanted to do escalated from there, like hand to hand and some other stuff. And I was like, oh, but it turns out that I graduated buds with that guy's brother. That guy was at my buds graduation. Wow. His older brother was in my buds class. I was like, because Bedros connected us. And I was like, what class was your brother in? He's like, oh, his brother's a SEAL and this, that. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I was at, at a dinner the other night and someone was like, hey, do you know so-and-so? They're a SEAL, they're this and that. I'm like, ah, okay, I don't know. I, maybe I do. Name may be familiar. Um, what class were they in? What team were they at? And then the message came back. Oh, actually, I, cross, I cross-rated and uh, I retired as like the chief of the boat. So he's a submarine guy, never a SEAL, never a anything. Like, and I was like, yeah, that guy's not a SEAL. The guy who was tell- talking to me was a dentist or an oral surgeon. And he's like, yeah. He's like, he says he does all these other things. And, and I'm like, I-, I need a little more information. Like, where was he at? What team? Where, you know, what, what, what buds class? What this? What that? Who was like, who was his commanding officer? Because I know enough people. I was, I was in the the community long enough. And so he get, yeah, he came back with like the wrong answer. And I was like, he's not a seal. There's nothing wrong. Yeah. Like he may have gone to train once, once upon a time, but there may have been seals on the submarine that he was a a part of. He was not a seal. He may have actually talked to a seal at one time, but that does not vicariously. Right. Ever. And so when you were on stage and you were talking, when you were preaching to the choir, so to speak, to the military, the army guys, you said in about 15 minutes, they finally were able to click in. Did you change your presentation to get their attention? Or was it just that you had gotten into that part of the presentation where this should be the thing that gets their attention? So, so, so my presentation is, you know, is, you know, five secrets to think like a Navy SEAL and the secret is naked. Mm-hmm. The N is never quit. The A is accept failure. K is cool mediocrity. E is, is exposure fears. D is do the work. I was telling enough stories and you can tell the guys that are like, macho and I'm the man and whatever. I mean, it's, we're at a competition. Everybody's trying to beat everyone else. And I actually instigated a lot of stuff that like earlier in the day where, uh, for example, the station that I was in charge of, I was like, so I don't remember what it was called, but I, I renamed it as Brokeback Mountain. And so I was like, so if you want 50 extra points, 
this station is called Brokeback Mountain. So what you have to do is you have to you have to do an open mouth kiss to your, your shooting partner. <laughs> and there were like there was a crowd of people, and dudes were like, "Are you fucking kidding me? What?" And like I think four groups did, and I made sure they got their fifty points. But I'm like, "How bad? How bad do you want it?" And some guys were like, "No fuck." And one guy was like, or there would be like one guy like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And other his shoot partner like get you get away from me like we're done. <laughs> or there was like you know there was like a little old granny over here. She's like my grandson's coming up next and he's gonna like I'm ready to take a picture if he kisses another man. <laughs> it was awesome. So then I had like sort of that sort of weird animosity thing going, and yep. then now I'm getting on stage and I'm like you need to think like me and whatever. And uh, <laughs> but I think it was you know. When I talk about killing mediocrity, I talk about the event in 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 buds called drown proofing, where you're tied up, hands behind your back, feet tied together, and I just talk about like going through that evolution. And I think I've gotten more feedback from that on people who are like that stressed me the hell out. Like as I ex- like talk through it, I didn't know that until like a lot of people have told me that, and I was like, oh, okay. So storytelling is like a great way to get your message across, especially if it like disturbs them at an emotional level. Mm-hmm. And when I'm telling, talking about that, I'm not thinking emotional law. I'm thinking like, how did I get through the, and then how, you know, how it worked out for me. And like, this is kind of what it feels like and some other stuff. So it's, it's, it's been a bit of a learning journey for me and which is, which I love. And I'm like, how can I do more of that? How can I impact more people, reach more people, touch more people on that emotional side through the art of telling stories? And that's a skill that I'm working on. And that's the great thing about it. I did my TEDx. And then when I started writing my book, it was the same thing where it was like, you don't realize how much stuff you know, or how much stuff you've been through until you're starting to like, jot down some of these little points. And then you're like, oh, I, yeah, right here. And all of a sudden you start plugging it in. And that's where that connection is. Because like you said, adversity, fear, very much what you're talking about, which is, I don't know if I can do this. How am I going to do this? you with that seal mindset of saying, listen, because when we spoke the first time, and if you haven't heard our first interview, go do it. We were talking about when you're getting, when you're in the surf, you're getting surf tortured, or when you're out there and it's cold and you're like, they take you out and you're like, you can put me back in the water. I don't care. Like it was the whole idea of, I understand it's going to suck, but that's why I'm here. So let's make it suck. Instead of trying to see what's the least, you know, what's the path of least resistance. You're like, no, give me the resistance. Give me the adversity. Because I'm already here and that's what I signed up for. So when people are facing this, so when people are going through hardship and they're like, oh, this is difficult. It's like, you asked for this. This is what you wanted. Why are you pushing back against now? If you want the strength, you have to want the adversity that comes from that to get you strong. But you can't just circumvent it. If there's no way, I'm sorry. Everybody's going to tell you that you can, but you can't. There's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. It's just work. You have to go. Yeah. And that's, that's the power of that. So for those that haven't heard that podcast, can you quickly give us just uh, the way that you brief yourself before you're about to engage in something difficult, whether it be physical, whether it be, well, I guess physical and maybe business are different or tell me the similarities. So this actually is my TED talk and my TED talk is really about doing, it's about doing a dirt dive and a dirt Mm -hmm. dive is a physical and mental rehearsal of something that's coming up. It's really visualizing what's going to happen, what you're going to do. So you, you make a plan. It doesn't have to be a perfect plan. Just put pen to paper. Like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to become? It's very simple. Write that down. And then write down the steps it's going to take for you to get there. And then you brief the plan. Like, find friends or family that you trust. 
talk to them about your plan. Ask them to shoot holes in it. I like to find skeptics because they're more than happy to tell me what that it's not going to work. They're going to think about things and give me feedback that I would never think of because they're thinking of it from a very different perspective, which is why coaching is so awesome. Like people, like I give people like the, the answer. I try to let them come up with it themselves, but I give them the answer. Like, why didn't I think of that? I'm like, you did. You almost told me the answer, but because you're in it, you can't see it. You're inside the bottle. I'm on the outside reading the label. You're reading the label kind of backwards and you know, it's in Greek or something to you. And to me, I'm like, I'm reading English. So after you brief the plan, you get all that feedback, then you do a dirt dive. You you do that rehearsal. You do, you know, and it, where that came from was uh, in the SEAL teams, we do combat swimmer where you have a, a closed circuit rig. So there's no bubbles. You recycle your own breath. You can do it for up to four hours and you go in and you 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 do a mission. But before you do that, before you get in the water, because you can't talk underwater, you and your dive partner, you walk through the mission. You go through, you plan it out. Then you you have everything written down. You like how long you're going to be on this bearing, what the bearing is, uh, how we're going to communicate underwater. What if we miss the bear? Like you, then you go over like, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if we miss the thing? You walk the dive from start to finish. And then you, what if it, and then you do it again. And then you go execute the mission. Same thing. Everything you do in your life. That is my Ted talk pretty much in, in two minutes or less. I tell a little bit better stories and I'm a little more passionate when I, when I deliver it. But really, at the end of the day, there's nothing in life that you can't be prepared for from, you know, getting hired or fired, going through a divorce, getting married, having a kid, a death in the family. It doesn't matter what it is. You can be prepared for almost everything. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Every, I believe that everything we do in life is a mission and every mission has transition points. You transition from here to there, from there to there. You transition from inside your house to your car. That's a transition point from your driveway to the street. Most accidents happen in parking lots as people are pulling out because they're in a hot hurry to pull out, which is why I back in because I have actually backed into someone before. Not, not a proud moment of my life, but whatever. But I learned that lesson. I always learn through failure. So, so if you're always setting yourself up for success, you're always preparing for the next transition, you will be like, you'll be more prepared. And I think that's, that's really what I do is I try to, I try to, prepare for that next thing that's coming up. And some people are like, what are you going to do in like, you know, five hours? I'll worry about that when I get closer to that five hour point. I got to focus on what's in front of me right now. That's it. You, you plan the dive and dive your plan, right? Right. And that's the other part, as you were saying, it's impossible to be prepared for everything, but we can have the attributes in place, discipline, consistency, commitment, resilience, that gives us a fighting chance in the moment because uh, the Marines talk about the 70% plan where it's like, I've I've got the objective. I know what's going on, but that last 30%, there is going to be a lot of pivot. Yeah. But the more that you ask, what if, what if, when you lead up to that point, absolutely, you'll be more prepared. It's never going to go perfect. Never. That's okay. Do it anyway. Have fun. That's it. That's that part of saying, listen, we had the expectation there is going to be variation. So if there is, it doesn't surprise me. But if I'm in this position right. where... And again, we, you work with companies and you work with CEOs too. It's the same thing where they're like, you know, I plan this perfectly and I've done this and I've done this. And it's like, okay, let's just be honest. Even if this were a perfect plan and it's impossible to be perfect, but if it were, let's be honest and say, okay, this is a perfect plan, but you're executing it in an imperfect world. So that should give you a little bit of variant. Then even if it was a perfect world, let's say, okay, 
perfect plan in a perfect world, but it's being executed by imperfect humans. So we have to build all that into there as a contingency, not the contingency that we're going to give up, but the contingency of saying, listen, it's just going to happen. And once I accept that, I get in front of it, it doesn't ambush me. But if I'm not aware of it, I'm going to get caught off guard all day. Yeah, you said something important in there. And I'm going to, I'm going to say it as, as SOPs, mm-hmm. standard operating yes. procedures. So one of the things that I work on with, with many of my clients is, you know, we'll call it the alien abduction manual. What happens if the alien comes down and abducts you? Can your business still run? What if one of your employees, what if you get hit by a bus? What if you, you know, have a baby? Whatever it is, can someone come in and fill your role while you're absent? Or are you holding all the secrets to success? Yes. And so I'll have my, my clients go out and I'll have them do this in their, in their organization. And, you know, one of them, he was like, like people started getting scared. Like I was going to fire them. And I was like, yeah, so do it for yourself first. And so I have, you know, one client where he's, he's doing it himself. And he was like, like every time we get on a call, he's like, I think I'm done. And then something else pops up where I don't have an SOP for that. Okay. Keep building it, keep building it. And then, and then like some other things have happened where like someone had to be gone for a while. And he's like, hey, how are we going to do your job? You got to take your laptop with you. You got to be engaged. You got to be whatever, because you're the single point of failure here. There it is. We, we can't have that. And they're like, oh, now I understand. But it, like, it takes sort of the sort of extreme measure for people to, because everyone is in this uh, scarcity mindset. Like, oh my God, I can't give up the trade secrets. Like most leaders in corporations, they're like, they're like just trying to hang on to their position. Like your job is not to be in that position. Your job is to train your replacement. All leadership is train your replacement. The more people that can like take over some of the things that you're doing, you should be good at like 20% of the stuff that you do. Like really good. Delegate the rest of that stuff. Train other people to do it. Then you can move up and you can actually focus on bigger and better things rather than how the shipping department works. You need to understand it, but you don't need to be doing it. No, we don't need the exact specificity. And like you said, if you're a CEO and you've hired a CFO and a CMO, let them do that. Like they're getting paid the salary, right? right? Let them earn it. Let them do their job. Let them come back to you and say, hey, I found this. I found this opportunity here. And you're talking about SOPs, right? So that's what's something that is scalable. So even if you have a company that only has 10 people there, there may be a time that you either want to open an additional branch, an additional element. Maybe you want to sell that and you want to show people, hey, I already have these SOPs. If you put in some capital, we can make this thing go fast in a hurry. Yeah. But if they don't have those things in place, and what does it do? It's almost like being on a fire team. Like when you have a fire team and they all know the mission and they're all briefed and they all know exactly what to do, it gives you this incredible feeling of, I don't want to say security, but it does make you understand that, listen, when the bullets start flying, we take contact, we will know where to go as opposed to just kind of cowering there and then getting caught in the on the X or in the kill zone. So yeah, having these SOPs and then going through, and like you said, you're breaking down all this stuff that's going to be the most common areas of friction. So let's turn it around. Yeah, so you, uh, there's a couple. Of th- so I don't I don't know if the last time we talked, I, I mentioned writing a book about you know, five sealed secrets of leadership. So I gave a presentation, I don't know, maybe two years ago. And one of the other women that spoke at the event, she was like, hey, you, you, you want to write a book together where you cover the things that you wrote? And then I cover the things I wrote. She was an HR professional. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure. So the first, so I'll, I'll just go over them really quickly. So the first secret is to multitask like a Navy SEAL. And so the, the secret is really, um, if you're, if you're, and I like to talk about it in the frame of a gunfight. 
Mm. So if you're in a gunfight, there's only three things that matter. You're in a gunfight in business. There's only three things that matter. You need to be able to shoot. You need to be able to move and you need to be able to communicate. And the secret is you can only do one of those things effectively at a time. If you're putting rounds down range, you're not effectively moving and you're not effectively communicating. If you're trying to communicate, all communication is two way. So I give you a command and you repeat the command back to me. So now I know that you understand what I said. That's two way communication. That's good communication. Yes. And then you pass it and I pass it to the next guy. And then everyone knows what the right word is. Yeah. Cover uh, me. I'm moving, move, right. Boom. All yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that's number one. So number two, is I say, leaders get no bullets. So as a leader, if you're putting rounds down range, you're focused on the enemy. You're focused on your front sights. You're focusing on that stuff. You're not focusing on the, the enemy picture. You're not focusing on the friendly picture. What's actually going on with your team? What's going on with the terrain around me? And this is true in business as well. So if I'm like running the organization and my sales guy sucks, so I'm busy like trying to do sales all the time, I can't actually run the organization until you get everyone else. And, and then maybe it could be where you're just like the best salesperson in the world and you need that capital. You need to step in and like put rounds down range. That's okay. Like no one else is shooting and people are up and moving. Like, okay, you need to like stop and put some rounds down range until other people start picking up fire and then you can go back to leading. But if you're shooting, you're not leading, the end. So number three is OODA loop. I think I, I actually, right before we got on the call, there, you, were, you were having a conversation with someone about OODA loop. Yes. We talked about right before this call, commander's intent. You yeah. know, I, I talk about commander's intent as like, uh, it's basically your left and right boundaries. You empower your team to do anything they need to do that's legal, moral, and ethical, as long as they stay inside these road guards, the bumpers, if you're bowling or whatever, you can do whatever you need to do as long as you stay inside to get the job done. And then the last one is decentralized command and control. And you like in the last, you, you talked about all three of those things, training your people, your fire team on what to do and how to do it and let them go execute it. I was talking to someone else, a, a, a company in, in uh, Australia that does this earlier this week. And he talked about, he had some interesting language. I, re I really liked the way that he presented it. He's like your ecosystem, not your ego system. Mm. so he would talk about the ecosystem like i have like the marketing guys i have the the ops guys i have the whatever i have the, the executioners i have the what like it's just like a bunch of teams around and they all have a common yes mission and they go execute it hey go i don't need to tell you exactly how to do it i don't need to micromanage you you know how to do your job go do your job and report back to me like if you need help or like when the mission is complete and then we can go on to the next mission and that's the power of, of that brief, the execution and debrief, coming back, what went well, what didn't go well, all these things. William, I could talk to you forever. And uh, I've Holy cow, we've been on here for a long time. I just, I just looked at the time. I know, I, I did too. <laughs> and I, I want to be respectful of that time. So you have, I believe, only a few coaching slots that are still open. If somebody wants to coach one-on-one -on -one with you, how could they begin to start that process? I would say go to fivesealsecrets.com, the number five, fivesealsecrets.com. Download that. You'll learn, you know, the get naked mindset. And then just re reply to that email and say, hey, I'm interested in coaching because that'll come directly into my inbox and then we can have that conversation. Yeah. And again, he's, he's working with high performers, people that are really wanting to, because here's the thing, you have a CEO and it's a multi-million dollar company. That decision that he makes can be a million dollar decision. And I always stress that because it's like, listen, if if you can get one decision that is not made and it saves the company a million dollars, 
it's worth a bargain at 10 times the price. So understanding that coming in. And again, William's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to just baby you the whole time, but he will also give you that support in the meantime, which is what we have to have as coaches. And being in a hard position as a coach, you can recognize it in somebody else. So we can see the sticky points that maybe you don't see, or maybe we can see the uh, the line of fire that you're not aware of. So I love that. And tell us more, tell us the name of the podcast again and where we can continue to learn more from you. Podcast, I appreciate you you giving me that that opportunity because I always forget to shout out my own podcast. It's the the Navy SEAL mindset. And uh yeah, go like, subscribe, all that good stuff. I, I it's also on YouTube, but I don't care how you get the message, go listen to the message. You know, they're they're pretty short. Like you could probably listen to an episode in a commute. And uh there's not like a, you know, it's not a two, four hour Joe Rogan deal. It's just me sharing some wisdom. And again, part of my imposter syndrome of like, who am I? What do I have to offer? Well, I actually have a lot to offer. I just have to give it to you. I just have to deliver it. I have to get out of my own way a lot of times. And that's what all of us have to do. We have to get out of our own way. There it it's is. not me. It's it's all of us. And so wh- when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to myself also. Yeah. William, thank you so much for your service. Thank yes, you so sir. much Thanks for, for having me on here. How you're serving everyone in the community. And I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.